Welcome to The Art of Growth and our panel season on Enneagram stances and attachment styles. This is the Type 6 panel. Before we get started, if you'd like to process the Enneagram and your growth journey with others on the path, consider joining the Art of Growth community. This is the best place to meet up with other Art of Growth listeners as we support each other in our becoming. You can join today at www.theartofgrowth.org. Theartofgrowth.org is also the place to take a free Enneagram test, a free Enneagram Instincts variant test, or to reach out to us for individual coaching or organizational coaching and consulting. There you can reach out to Joel Hubbard or me, Jim Zartman. In this podcast series, we build on the work we've done in other panel seasons on Enneagram type and instincts. All right, here we go. All right, well, welcome to the Type 6 panel. We're doing this whole focus this season on your attachment styles and your stances. And the fascinating thing about the two is that they're both answering a fundamental question that all humans share. And that is, how do I get my needs met within the context of my relationships? And so what I'd like us to do is before we launch into that is have you introduce yourself, tell us your name and where you're from. My name is Claire and I live in Northern Virginia. I'm Linda and I'm in Northeastern Ohio. I'm Matt and I'm in Wichita, Kansas. And I'm Anne and I'm in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Okay, well, welcome to each of you. And uh, I'm excited to get into this and see what we learn. Just as a reminder on the stances, we're looking at sort of three types or three approaches to getting our needs met. One is the at, um, the other one is toward, and the third one is away. And then in the attachment styles, we're looking at secure and then the anxious preoccupied, which are those who get their needs met primarily in relationship, like you're going to meet my need because I can't meet mine. And then the dismissives are those who actually don't trust anybody to meet their needs. They're going to meet their own needs. And then the uh, disorganized types, uh, which is the fourth category, the ones that don't really have a straight strategy to getting their needs met. So what I like us to do is just begin at least with the stances. And if you would start there and let me know what your dominant stance is and uh, maybe the stacking also, maybe share your instincts as well, because that can be helpful in understanding uh, maybe what's happening there. So I guess my stance is um, generally toward and the sort of stacking, I guess, is toward and then away. Uh, and then when all else fails, at. And also in terms of instinct, I am a very strong social instinct and then also pretty strong after that self-pres and then sort of the neglected is the the sexual. Mm. So can you explain a little bit about what that looks like for you to go toward and then what does it take for you to go away and what does it really yeah. really then take to go at? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean I, I don't think I actually go at very often. I only go at in really high stress situations where the relationship is not one that I can just walk away from. And my primary instinct, I would say, in being toward is it, it's often a little bit of testing the waters 
uh, a lot of times. So if I'm making friends, I think about this primarily in terms of making female friends, actually, you know, I might uh, say, hey, I like your shoes, right? <laughs> and, and that's sort of a bit of toward energy when I'm when I'm entering into new friendships. And then depending on what I get back, I will go toward more or I will simply withdraw. And so in that situation, there's never really any particular reason to get to the at. Mm. But if I'm in a work relationship, for example, you know, I have a, a leadership role where I'm sort of in the middle of the hierarchy. So depending on whether I'm doing toward in an upward way or toward in, for lack of a better term, a downward way, I might get to the at. If my toward energy isn't successful and then my away energy isn't successful and there's something that's really, really important, I might get to at. And I guess Mm. just one more thing I'll point out is with my spouse, with my husband, (laughs) we can get to at. Um, in some pretty um, explosive ways if my toward energy hasn't been reciprocated. Mm, I love how you said that, the reciprocated piece, because I think that uh, helps a lot of folks out there understand the toward and how that works. It's, uh, it is looking for, for that reciprocal kind of, I've done my part, you know, you do your part and it's sort of like that, that movement to it. Yeah. Can you explain a little bit about the, if my toward is not reciprocated, like, what do you Mm -hmm. mean? What are you looking for? What does that, what does that look Mm. like? Well, in each of those, in each of those situations I laid out, and that's pretty much the way I think about them, friendships, primarily friendships with women, my working relationships, which are both with men and with women, and then my relationship with my partner. And I guess with my kids that maybe even I could talk about something a little Mm. bit different. But my husband is, I would say, not primarily, for example, uh, a person with toward energy primarily. He tends to be more away if he's in his head and I move toward him in some way. You know, if, if I initiate a conversation with him and he doesn't respond in the way that I'm hoping he'll respond, then <laughs> in the purest sense, I don't know if this really is a way because it's in a way that says, okay, fine. Um, you, you aren't paying attention to me. I'm going to withdraw and then hope that he notices that I've withdrawn. And it's not always that way. It's very different with, again, my girlfriends or in my work relationships. But if he doesn't respond in the way that I'm hoping he'll respond, uh, then I can get to at with him very quickly. Mm, that's really helpful. Yeah, that yeah. makes a lot of sense. I'm pretty similar. I, my strongest is away um, and then towards or at, and I am um, a one-to-one or sexual sex as, as we say. So I think you use the phrase kind of testing the waters. And if I, if I heard that right, and Mm -hmm. I really liked that because I definitely relate to that in moving towards someone, whether it's romantically, I'm not married or, Um, in like new friendships, kind of testing the water, moving towards them to get to know them as I'm becoming healthier. But my instinct is definitely to kind of stay away, be more independent. I have kind of a cynical lack of trust in people generally. And I think my at comes out kind of in my safest relationships. And a lot of those are my relationships that have a lot of longevity um, the the friends or the relationships that I've had my family even for years and or and or decades. Okay, so a few questions. One is, what's your so you you said your instinct, your dominant instinct, sexual. What's the second for you? Um, social. 
Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Um, because mm-hmm. the, what we've been tracking with has been how the sexual with the six followed by the social tends to have a little bit more of that uh, use of charm as opposed to maybe aggression. Mm-hmm. So would that be consistent for you? I would. Yes, I would say so. Absolutely. I've never had that language or heard that language, but yes, mm. that tracks. Hmm. Okay. Is the toward charm? Um, yeah, I think on some level, I, I think there can also kind of be a negative connotation around charm, but oh. when I think about it in, you know, a work standpoint or just even relationally, yeah, there's some charm in that I can hold conversations pretty easily. I'm good at my work. I, I generally can kind of get stuff done and do it well. And so in that sense, yeah, I think, I think charm comes out that way. And that may not be the best word, but it it speaks to more of a social skill. Absolutely. Uh, yes, I agree with that. Fluidity. Yeah. Yes. Uh, okay. So that's great. That's helpful. How does the, for you, how does this, the order of your stances go? You said away, is that your first or is toward your first? I would say naturally away is my first. I will say, I think I've gotten better at towards being a, li- a bit more natural for me as I've kind of worked the Enneagram and attachment theory too, and done some of this, but away is, is definitely my dominant one. Okay. Talk to me about how that works for you. So that's a similar question to, you know, what we, what we asked. And because it's curious because there's a bit of an anomaly and I love anomalies because I think that that speaks to the ever evolving kind of people that we are. And so there's a, how does the withdrawn help you in getting your needs met? And what does that look like in relationship with people? I think on the surface, I say it helps me get my needs met, or I would have said it helps me get my needs met because it feels safe and it feels protective. And when I kind of look at my story, I needed to feel safe. And especially as a one-to-one six, I'm very concerned with um, emotional safety and with those preserving those relationships. So moving away from that actually feels safe, but I think the irony of that, I've come to learn, it actually doesn't really help me. It doesn't actually really get me what I want. It does at times, but I think that's why I've I've kind of grown to start moving a bit towards because I've seen some of the, the repercussions in my life where I'm like, Hey, this away is not really helping me all the time, right? It helps me at one point and it, it's not helping me as much anymore. Mm. So is it, are you moving away or are you pausing to evaluate whether you can go toward? That's probably a better way to put it. I like that language, um, that kind of evaluation. Again, like Ann said, kind of testing the waters. Yeah, I, that makes sense to me because the cautious, because yeah. the six tends to go toward or it's looking for the opportunity to go toward, which is why I asked that is the pause to, to see if you can go toward, right? It's mm-hmm. like that check-in because also the, the sexual energy tends to have a little bit more of that. I'm going to move in. And and, yep. and so I was wondering, I was like, well, what is the withdrawing? Because when we use the term withdrawing in this context, we're like, all right, you're already in relationship, you're close. And then maybe you're trying to relate to this person. You know, for a nines, they talked very consistently about something comes up that's maybe tension and they want to withdraw in order to like regain themselves so they can return and and come back. Mm -hmm. So in like an intimate relationship, do you feel like your first thing when Mm -hmm. something comes up, your first response is to go away? Yes. Okay. Talk about that. Absolutely. So, yeah, if I feel any sort of threat, however, kind of 
big or small or serious, yeah, my first response is going to be to retreat. I want to kind of regain my composure. I want to figure out what I'm thinking and Mm. what I'm feeling. Um, As a six, I often don't know, like right in the moment, what I'm thinking. And so I'll kind of retreat, compose my thoughts, figure out where my head's at. Sometimes wait for the person. And this just varies depending on kind of the strength of the relationship. Sometimes I'll wait for them to kind of come back to me, but yes, I will move away, kind of assume, assume the worst, but I'll want to kind of regain my composure before moving back towards. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's quite a bit different for the six than it is say for the two. So in the triad that we've called the toward stance and that other teachers uh, speak of this as the the dependent stance. Beautiful. We we use the dutiful word much more because it tends to fit the one and the two and the and the six. So that is it's more of what I hear in the six is there is a little bit of that dutifulness and sort of like you know in the relationship in the context of the relationship itself. And so that's a that's going to come across different than say for a two who is always moving towards. And so for you, as you're as a six, you also value your autonomy. You don't want to be trapped in a relationship or feel like you have to be beholding to people all the time. And, and so there's a need for that. And so there's that away stance definitely plays a factor in how the six kind of protects that. Yeah. I think the difference possibly is for the towards stance dependent, whatever you want, dutiful stance, whatever you want to call it, is it's still others referenced. At least for me, it is. My response typically is toward, but Claire was talking about how her initial response is to retreat or or move away, evaluate, and then decide, okay, am I going forward or not? That's still a very dutiful others referenced. You're looking outside, okay, whatever the situation is, then you make the decision. Some are going to move towards, some are going to move, move away. Maybe you try away and then move towards, but it, it's so based on others. And I think that's, what's unique about this triad. The one, two and sixes is, is it is. Cause I, I can see context is everything, right? So depending on the relationship, depending on what's at stake, if it's an argument over where we're going to dinner, there's not a lot at stake at that. If it's an argument at work over a project or a deadline or a client, there could be a ton at stake. But context is everything. But it's going to, as a, at least for me as a six, when I read the situation, it's so nuanced. It, it's really hard for me to just pinpoint and say, okay, here's the matrix of, of the, the nine ways I'm going to respond. And you can follow the logic tree. But... Typically, I would move towards and let there's a safety thing you're evaluating as a six and a security thing. How secure am I? If it's a situation that I'm pretty insecure about, I don't know a lot about, I'm probably going to move away, at least temporarily until I can collect some thoughts and then then re-engage. One of the things that people have mentioned is almost like a ch- testing. And I love that thought of check-in with the, even with established relationships. As a six, I find it very easy to create narratives, usually not completely based on facts, <laughs> usually based on a small little fact that may have nothing to do with what I turned it into. And I'll mm. feel like, okay, this relationship may be under stress, or there may be a rift here that I'm, and so then I create this rift. And so then I will move towards and kind of check in 
And so that reciprocal, what I'm looking for with that is how do they respond? What's their body language? Are they, are they engaging? Oh, they did engage me, but they still look upset. They must be upset about something else. I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out in that exchange how secure and safe is this relationship unit that I'm worried about. Okay, so what tells you that? Because that's a very interesting observation. Like I'm, I'm tracking so much with you there, and I'm thinking that's fascinating. How there's sort of like a, are, is the person meeting me halfway? Is that is there some kind of response? Is that what you're looking for? Like how are you evaluating? Is that person safe? Is that per, is it is it like are we good kind of thing in the relationship? And, and also, I forgot to ask you what's your what's your dominant instinct and second instinct. I think uh, totally social, and I would say followed by one-on-one. Self-pres seems to be the first to go off the rails when when things get stressed and under time uh, crunch. I, I think the question is exactly what you said. Are we good? I mean, at the at the end of the day, whether it's a work-related thing, are we good? Am I going to have a job tomorrow? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Whether it's with my spouse, are we good? Are we going to, you know, and it's always worst case, right? Are we good? Are we having trouble? Is this going to blow up into something even further? With kids, it tends to go from toward to to at. <laughs> but I, I think that's probably true for a lot of a lot of people if they don't start at. Um, I think that's a different dynamic. But but again, it's that checking in. Are we good? Is whatever this relationship means to me, is it in health, unhealth? And then, you know, if it's unhealthy, I could choose to retreat if I don't know what to do. If I perceive what the issue is and it's, from my perspective, an easy fix, then I would be more inclined to move towards and, and inquire more. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you. I would say my stances tend to mirror Anne's in that my dominant is toward and I would say then away and then my repressed would be at. I think for me, it's the toward feels like it comes from a place of going with the flow quite often. I'm a middle child. So I think, you know, it's was part of my environment growing up to sort of blend and to read the room and sort of just go with the flow and and make things very easy for others. So I think that for me, that toward is, is often going with the flow. And then for me, you know, the at would feel like if I'm almost sort of backed into a corner and really have to have an uncomfortable conversation with someone, I get Mm. that that point. Mm. And I think, you know, as I was thinking about all this too, I kept thinking, I really often just want to feel someone is with me standing Mm. kind of next to me instead of Mm. that the you know sometimes someone's at energy feels too much and I find myself pulling back and I think sometimes just it's that desire then to have someone else be with me and maybe that is mirroring then that like going with the flow it's for someone else to actually meet me where I'm at, which maybe it's not even truly where I'm at. If I'm going with the flow, I think it's often my own needs are the last thing that I'm thinking of. And so that's a muscle that I've been working on trying to build. Mm. In terms of my instincts, I am self-pres first. And then um, I was pretty evenly split between social and sexual, a little more social, but they were pretty close percentage wise. For the sixes that I've encountered, coached, had long conversations with, there seems to be a proximity of distance with other people that feels like that's the that's the sweet spot so if it, if someone's too far away 
whether in their emotions they're just kind of withdrawing and pulling back that creates anxiety in the relationship for the six mm -hmm. if they're too toward it creates anxiety so it's like a temperature sensitivity to the relational dynamics i'm getting some head nods does that make yeah. sense to you and is that yes that really resonates for me i think you know similar to what matt was saying there is sometimes if i don't hear from someone you know i might start going into my head and thinking like did I do something wrong? You know, and, and it, my first instinct then usually is to think, did I do something wrong? Is there something wrong instead of just reaching out? So instead of like taking a more at stance and, and reaching out and saying, hey, how's it going? I think for me, that is more of that going to that away space and getting into my head and then looking at it from every possible angle. Did I do something wrong? I mean, you know, what could this possibly be? And I think that for me in especially in friendships you know more several years ago at this point but for me like retreating was always my first yeah. move and i i agree with claire that i feel like that was really often needing to try and gather my thoughts and figure out my feelings because i'm usually still processing and so in the moment if i need to try to say something it, my head is too you know it's it's still processing and trying to kind of catch up with with what I'm feeling. Did I hear you right? You said, you know, it felt like at energy to you to reach out to someone else and be like, how's it going or reach out. That feels like at energy to you. That doesn't feel like toward. Yeah, I did say that feels like at, I said it though, in the context of feeling like if I haven't heard from someone, you know, and, and there are sort of the people that I'm in touch with pretty regularly. And so if more time goes by, then to me, I start feeling like is something off is something not right. And that that feels more like at energy to me. But I see your point that it would generally just be toward. But for me, it feels like it takes an extra step in that context. Huh. I think I have grown in that area and I'm getting better at sort of being the one that just proactively reaches out and says, hey, how's it going? And then to me, that would feel more like toward. Linda, I actually agree with you on that. And I think it feels, I, I see the discrepancy, Jim, in your question, but I think it feels like at when maybe it's actually towards because I think about my experiences and if I'm going to someone like, hey, are are we okay? Is, is everything good? Did I, you know, that it feels like the potential for everything to fall apart, right? It feels like, I had nods, it feels like the potential for them to come back and say like, Hey, no, we're not okay. And then we've got a much bigger problem we've got to deal with or them to not be able to meet me in the midst of that question emotionally and mm -hmm. kind of hold that space for me or meet me there. Which would threaten a sense of rejection for you. Yes, exactly. Or to judge you as more needy, to be yes. more needy than you should be Ooh. as well. Yes. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. What's wrong with you? Like, why didn't right. you know? <laughs> why are you asking me that? Right. right. What's why wrong do you with care you? so much? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I would like to build on that too. I was jotting down some notes, Matt, when you were talking about the narratives and you feel like the narratives that you create, I think the words you used were, are oftentimes not based on anything that's factual. Is that, is that the way you said it? Most of the, the context of the narratives would not be actual factual. There may be a fact in the narrative that kind of got the snowball rolling. Mm -hmm. But I sometimes will take that and start reading meaning into that that's not there. 
So I definitely create narratives. And I would say my narratives are sometimes based on actual fact. Sometimes, and perhaps more often, they're based on my past, on my past experiences. Mm -hmm. So I'm reading anything. And and this is, this is why I'm building this on the, you know, if I reach out to a friend and say, Hey, why didn't you call or, you know, whatever internally that might feel like an at that will get me a, Whoa, she's too dependent on this friendship. And, and I'm reading that through past experience. And frankly, to be perfectly honest, I think another layer for me is, um, (laughs) I'm an English teacher. I think that literature also, um, has a huge impact on the narratives that I create about my own life. You know, whether that's, oh, you know, like if this set of things happen, well, here's what's going to happen next, right? So, and I also think that at least for me as a six, as a social six, especially, I'm scanning everything all the time to put together in my mind, all right, what is the worst case scenario here? What is the worst case scenario? Because if I know the worst case scenario, then I can possibly take steps to prevent the worst case scenario from coming into be. So those are all the narratives going on with my inner committee all the time. Was this going to be like Wuthering Heights or is this going to be like, you know, when I was six and this kid didn't come to my birthday party that I thought, you know, like, like that's just all going on in there all the time. So those things all shape the narratives, shape the stories that I'm telling myself. Mm. I think the the past events chaining, I think I've heard it called where you, you link past experiences together and you, you overlay that on what's before you. Yeah. And it really changes, changes the reality of what you think at least you're perceiving at that point in time. Yeah. The human brain already does that <laughs> naturally, but I can see what you're saying about with the sickness and the anticipation of, you know, what could actually be the situation here. If someone hasn't returned my call, if someone gave me a certain look, if I'm being called into the office and all kinds of things like that are playing themselves out. And that's where I think the Enneagram has been very helpful in some occurrences where it helps because there are some friends like I have a close friend that's a five. I know he doesn't seem say much, you know, when so, I'm going through something hard, but then I hear about it later. Like, man, that was so tough. I can't believe you went through that. And so if I didn't know as a five, they're, they're kind of withdrawing and processing to know even how they feel to, to be able to do that. If that I would take that personal. Like, well, you hmm. don't even care. No, yeah. this is how yeah. they deal with it. And, the, you know, you can go through all the numbers that way. But I, I think that's what's beautiful about the Enneagram is it for six, if you can remember those things as you're engaging people. And not that I know everybody engages types, but you can kind of get a sense that, hey, maybe it isn't that they're mad at me. Maybe this is just how they are. Go figure. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, this is excellent because this is kind of guiding us into a little bit on the attachment styles and then into how do we grow? How do we get through some of the stuff to, you know, being in more real time in the relationship with people? And so let's take a look at attachment styles and just go again, go through that as to what's your starting attachment style. Again, do not feel embarrassed or ashamed or anything. We've had other podcasters say, 
yeah, I'm in the disorganized, man. I, I have no strategy. I'm all over the place. <laughs> so, so at any given point, we can be in any one of those, but you know, we're all trying to aim towards uh, the secure attached uh, style. So who would like to get us started with that? Well, I took that test and it said I was secure and that's just wrong. <laughs> okay. I mean, and and I went back and I kind of looked over the questions. Now, you know, I'm 56 years old. I've kind of been at relationships for a long time at this point <laughs> and working on myself for a long time. But I feel like a lot of those questions were asking very specific questions about how you relate to your partner. And I think that uh, if you look at my marriage, if you look at my 28 year long marriage, on balance, I, I would look like a pretty secure, attached person. But you've already heard me talk about what I'm like with my female friendships, um, what I'm like in work relationships. In some sense, I would argue even with my children at this point, because they're all grownups now. And so I'm learning new ways of being in relationship with them. So I would definitely say that I am an anxious attacher. Okay. How does that show up? Well, even when the, with the story that I told at the beginning, um, which is sort of like my testing of the waters in relationships and a general assumption that I guess two assumptions, one of which I don't generally even think about. The first one that I do think about often is I don't generally assume that people want to be in relationship with me or that people will mm. like me. Uh, I have to somehow earn their mm. liking me. And I think, so that's the first thing. The second thing is also, I don't have choices in terms of who I'm in relationship with. I have to take whoever's willing to be in relationship with me. So, uh, you know, and, and that's a thing that I don't consciously think about a lot. Mm. But once I'm in a relationship sometimes, and, and I think this is characteristic of sixes, actually, that I sometimes will stay in a relationship long past the time when I should have should have looked at it and been like, whew, this person is really toxic. I need to get out of this relation, this friendship or or this this workplace where I am. I might need to start looking for another job because I don't I don't go into the world assuming that I have choices. I, I have at this point in my life, and this has not always been true, a fairly large number of female friends. And again, there've been times when this has not been true. And I asked my husband one time, I'm like, I actually said to him, why do these people like me? I don't even know why they like me. <laughs> and, um, you know, his first response was, you demand very little. Mm. You demand very little in your friendships. You're very easy to be with. You demand very little. And so I think that's how that shows up. Mm. It's interesting because you demand very little, but the anxious preoccupied for you is that you're kind of dependent a little bit more on the others and how yes. they, okay. Yeah. So that, that's an interesting nuance of that. Mm -hmm. uh, not so much. It doesn't seem so much as like you're needy and you're coming across needy and people, you know, feel the obligation to have to meet your needs. Cause that's not how you come across. Mm -hmm. And so that could seem dismissive because it's like, I'm not asking for my needs to be met here. I'm resourceful. I can meet my own needs. I'm interested in meeting yours. That's that's usually the way I'm, I'm, yeah. I appear in female friendships. I'm a very good yeah. listener. I'll support you when you're down. You know, Linda, I see you nodding your head. Right? <laughs> you know what that's like, right? And, you know, there are female friends in my life who I just, I love so dearly. And then there are other 
friends where I have, I don't entirely know why I'm here, but I, you know, I'm fun and I listen and I give to that other person. And I'm afraid to let that relationship go because I don't, I kind of don't even know how I got the relationship in the first place, right? That question of like, why do these people like me? And I'm afraid of if I let it go, then I'm going to wake up one day and I'm actually not going to have any relationships. So I have to hang on to the ones that I've got, if that makes sense. Even if it's not a two-way relationship, really, even if it's very one-sided. Very insightful. I took the quiz as well. Okay. And and I I came out as ambivalent anxious was my highest. And then disorganized came in right after that. Like they were just one point apart. And then secure and then avoidant and dismissive, which surprised me because I would have thought I was somewhere anxious, ambivalent, avoidant. You know, I think I've thought of myself often again as pulling back, having a tendency to sort of take a back seat. But yeah. But once I read more than after taking the quiz and went, oh yeah, ambivalent, anxious, and the disorganized, that idea of even just, I can want something, but I'm not going to get it really resonated with me that it almost this concept of like, that's not for me, that certain things are meant for other people. And this is just not something that is meant for me. And I think that that has really affected me in relationships over the years. and. I was nodding my head a lot thinking Mm -hmm. about just, you know, like a middle school and high school student, you know, my female friends were always like, you're such a good listener. You're such a good (laughs) listener, you know? And I, on the one hand, I think I enjoyed that sort of praise at the time, but I also remember often having the thought of like, but who listens to me, you know? And so not necessarily learning that it's okay, that that a friendship is a two-way street and that it's not necessarily always a balanced reciprocal relationship that, that sometimes one person takes a little more and then sometimes somebody else takes a little more and, and it doesn't always have to be even or equal. So yeah, I, I think also the, you know, just even the concept of having lower self-esteem then was something I remember several years ago, a good friend kind of said to me, you know, I, yeah, I just wondered if you've been struggling with esteem issues. And I sort of went, you know, to myself, like, really me? And then the more that I sat with that discomfort, it was like, oh yeah, no. Again, when I pull back and look at it, it was like, I was my lowest priority, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and, um, everybody else's needs were coming ahead of mine. So I've really had to learn that it's okay for me to take up space (laughs) in relationships and friendships and to, to meet my own needs. So, yeah. That is, again, very insightful. Um, I'm learning quite a bit here when it comes to the attachment styles and how that plays itself out. Fascinating. Okay, before I say anything, I want to hear from the others as well. Like, did both of you, uh, Matt, did you take the test as well? or I did, and I came out secure, so I passed. No, I'm just kidding. Hey, you get the gold <laughs> I was, I was kind, of, kind of like Ann. I was like, ah, oh, that's a bunch of BS. Um, <laughs> and then I got to thinking, well, I probably am more secure than I realize because of a lot of work. And, and two, I started wondering if there's a nuance with how I actually do engage and then how I internally feel about yes. that engagement. <laughs> and I'm like, I feel Big whether it's a secure style that I'm engaging with someone, it still may inside feel like it's completely anxious and ambivalent and that kind of stuff. So I did, I did come out with secure 
on, but almost tied for second and third was avoidant and ambivalent, which depending on the circumstance, I can see why those would be close together. Yeah. What do you resonate with more? So that's what, what the external test uh, said. But as far as you, do you see yourself showing up more in that avoidant or ambivalent in a moment of stress or in a moment of where, where things don't feel like they're going very well? Do you, do you see one of those arising more in you? I would say probably the anxious ambivalent. And then that did score a couple points higher. I, th- I think anxiousness is something that I'm aware of, obviously, but I think as, as sixes and, and maybe even in the head triad as we uh, five, six and sevens all struggle with anxiousness, every number is anxious. I, I think sixes especially take it to a whole new, new level of excellence in their, their anxiousness. <laughs> and so I just feel like anxiousness is always there. It may be not right in my face, but it's always kind of that motor in the back of my mind that's, that's revved up. A lot of it's subconscious. So I think that's kind of my go-to in, instinct. And, and, and depending what the situation is, I can see where it'd be avoidant or dismissive, especially at work. Depending on what the situation is, I can, I can see that come up as well. But I would say anxious is probably my, my go-to. I'm a bit of an anomaly here, I guess, because I am avoidant attachment. And that definitely rings true in my life. And especially as we were talking about away towards or at Again, my tendency is to move away. So when I feel some sort of threat in my relationships, I tend to retreat, test the waters, gather my thoughts and kind of see what happens. And there's nuances to that, of course. Um, my friendships that I've had, again, the friendships that I've had for you know multiple years or even I've had friends from childhood at this point. Matt, I loved what you said about you might appear more secure even if internally you're kind of freaking out because I absolutely relate to that, that with my relationships that have some longevity or there is that trust that's been built or a sense of security there, I might be able to approach them with what looks like security. And I'm able to kind of walk into hard conversations or ask harder questions, but internally I'm sort of, again, bracing for, they're going to walk away from me or this is going to go terribly or they're not going to understand what I'm saying. So yeah, I, I definitely see the avoidant in my relationships works a little bit different. I, I don't see it come out quite as much, but that's me. Mm. Well, again, super insightful. I so appreciate this, uh, the, the level of honesty that uh, we have here uh, today. Can we talk about how do we move towards uh, growth? What are some steps maybe you've taken? Even if it's just awareness, even if it's not an actual step, just like I'm having like these, these ahas, I'm having these connections happen for me, or maybe some steps that you've taken. How are you moving towards the secure attachment in the attachment styles and uh, what we're calling uh, moving towards the ability to, to use all three stances but more from a discerned place as opposed to reactive. Like I choose to act this way. This is the best thing for me. This is the best thing for the relationship, which we're calling the the fourth stance, the with stance. So talk about maybe a little bit about how you're growing. I loved hearing, I think maybe Claire, Linda, Matt, I think at one point or another, you might've all talked about the away energy as being a time to gather thoughts, gather your thoughts. And that's my 
growth point. I think that throughout my life, I have tended to use away energy in a weaponized kind of fashion. And that rarely gets me what I want. (laughs) And I think, Joel, I can't remember how you just put this about trying to use all of the energies. And I, I think that there are times in my life where I've used that away energy um, to take stock, to maybe decide that a relationship is no longer working for me and to move away from it. But those times are fewer than I would like. And I think that that's a place where I'm trying to move towards some growth. And I, and I think that lines up well with being a six who really needs to rely more on her inner wisdom. I think that if I can use that away energy to tap into my inner wisdom, then there's the potential for more growth for me. Mm -hmm. I love that you said that, Anne, because I know I kind of said at the beginning, I think Joel, you had asked the question, but my moving away, I've, I've learned actually doesn't help me all that much. And it had become pretty detrimental in a lot of my relationships. But Anna, I love what you said about how you're right. We all kind of talked about moving away and the ways that that can be helpful. Being able to see it through that lens of, okay, there are times that moving away can serve me and and does serve me. Um, It's just helpful. It's a good spin to put on it and to be able to see that way. So I really love that you you pointed that out. And I think for myself, I'm just also learning how to, to be okay with sitting in discomfort and that my stances and my attachment style bring a lot of discomfort or anxiety as we like to talk about as sixes. And some of that's okay in relationships and it's okay to kind of ride that out and lean into it a little bit. It's not something that I have to run from, but sitting in it actually can create a, a, more of a depth in my relationships and ultimately what I'm, what I'm looking for. I don't have to fear that anxiety Mm. so much, but listen to again, the kind of the wisdom of what it's telling me. Mm. Do you feel like when you're doing that, you're able to access a little bit more of the heart center as well? Yes, absolutely. Mm. I find that to be true for a lot of head types. Like if it's, you know, the withdrawn stance really helps us. It's like pulling back and then really processing uh, more at the heart level. What is happening? Yeah. And what do I need in response to it? And and some of that. Well, that's a great question. Yeah. That's a great follow-up question. What do I need? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Yeah. I think often for me that it's even, how do I feel and what do I need? So again, that link of like what's happening emotionally, but usually I need some time for my head to catch up to maybe what my heart is feeling um, or for the two to, to communicate with each other, I guess. Yeah. It's like a calibration that needs to happen. It's like the heart is active, even if we're not aware of it, but it makes us spin. And so there's a whole lot of thinking that's generated by this, the unaware emotion. Yeah. So that slowing down maybe helps you to kind of get that, the feeling. I like the order in which you put that, the feeling, and then what do I need? Yeah. Yeah. And I also think, you know, I've learned how much than being in my body and getting out of my head can help mm. me process things mm. as well. And so, you know, spending time on, on the yoga mat helps me a lot. And just that connection of breath and kind of getting out of my head has really been uh, just a huge change for me. Mm. Yeah. 
Yeah, I would say that anytime your three centers get out of balance, which is pretty much how we all live all the time, but being heavy in the head, you talk about yoga. I don't do a lot of yoga, but I do try to hit the gym. And especially if I'm mulling something over relationally, something that's heavy, where it almost your mind gets on replay and you're like, yeah, I've seen this come around before. We've, we've thought this thought we've, we felt these sensations about 50 times. Now, one of the best ways to get it to stop for me is doing some sort of either hands-on activity. That can be as easy as going out and cleaning the garage or exercise or just something that, that gets work done that Mm. brings your attention elsewhere is, is very helpful uh, for me. And, I think just awareness, you ask, what are you doing? I think the more we can become aware and catch ourselves and to do it with grace and not with gotcha, see, you're never, you're never going to overcome this type thing, but just with compassion, be able to say, oh, hmm, that's kind of interesting. I wonder what caused me to respond that way. It's hard to do. It's hard to do real time. Oftentimes I don't, I'm not able to do it real time. Oftentimes it comes later. You're like, man, why did I? Why, why did I respond that way? But you learn every time you do that, you, you kind of learn about different patterns about yourself. And eventually, you know, I found over the years, you get a little bit better at catching it a little bit sooner. And every once in a great while, you, you, you hit it out of the park and you, you catch yourself sliding down into that space before you, you do anything that doesn't make sense. So, yeah. Wow. So good. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I am deeply grateful to each of you for being on this podcast, for uh, sharing as openly and honestly as you do. Sixes tend to be that way anyways. I mean, I find them to be more honest than I am. (laughs) So I appreciate that. You keep my feet to the fire. And I love your courage. You know, I've said this about sixes before. I think they're some of the, the most courageous types in the Enneagram because even though other types don't have the the fears well if you don't have the fears you don't have courage you don't need courage right so like the amount that you deal with uh, requires a whole lot of courage so i admire that and i appreciate your insights and the wisdom that you've learned that you've shared with us so again to each of you thank you so very much for having been on this podcast thanks for listening to this episode you can follow us on social media or sign up for our newsletter at theartofgrowth.org. You can also go there to sign up for the community or to reach out to us for coaching. But hey, since you're here, why not stick around for another episode? Grace and growth, my friends.